Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. We are on episode 36. We're going to finish working with others and get into wives. We just finished last week talking about how it is okay to go to a place where alcohol is served. Basically, there are a number of questions that they give us on the bottom of 101 and the top of 102. And if I can answer those to my satisfaction, to my sponsor or my spiritual people's satisfaction, I can go as long as I'm spiritually fit. They're telling me if I'm not spiritually fit, which means if my mind is still thinking about the drink and how I want to take it, then they're telling me it's better to stay away. On the top of 102, I underlined, if you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. And I wrote 10, 11, and 12, so I can use 10, 11, and 12 to figure out if I should do, if I should, what I should do. So I can inventory it, I can meditate and pray, and then I can reach out to others. And I wrote on the top, I wrote spiritually fit. So that's the qualification. If I'm spiritually fit, which means if I, I don't want to go there so I can be around it, so I can feel what they're feeling without doing that, then I can go. It says, go or stay away, whichever seems best, but be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start, and that underline your motive in going is thoroughly good. I underline the next two sentences, and this is one of those awesome tools that we get in the program. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. I wrote on the side, you can show others, you can show others, you can have fun when sober. You can show others you can have fun when sober. So this idea about thinking what I can bring to the occasion rather than what I can take from it is huge for me. So right now I'm at my husband's place in Virginia and with his kids. And every other weekend we go back and forth to each other's houses with our own kids. And I'm struggling right now coming here, wanting to come here because it's not as fun as it is to be in Cleveland because of various reasons that are challenging. And what I think of when I'm not happy here is I'm thinking about what I'm not getting and what I'm missing out of at home and what I'm not feeling. Um, And I'm only thinking about me, me, me. And when I think of what I can bring to it, how I can be helpful, how I can help clean up, how I can help with one of the kids that wants me to be around, how I can be an example how I can be a kind person in their life who doesn't yell. These are all, when I do those things, I'm happier, regardless of whatever that means to them. So this is a tool about, instead of thinking about what I can get, I need to think about what I can bring. And I need to do that for the rest of my life, at work, in intimate relationships, with family, with friends, with all of it, child rearing. Um, I need to think of what I can bring. But if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. So they're warning me again, the best choice for you is to work with another alcoholic. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. So they just told me to be enthusiastic at work. If you are a person with, if you are with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. So just pause for a second. When I got sober, I was 19 years old in Athens, Ohio, at Ohio University. My friends were not going to bars to have a happy occasion where they might have served alcohol. Me and my friends were not even legally allowed to drink. We were going to house parties and drug dens and 
craziness. So I couldn't use this idea to app, to apply to my house, but I tried before I got into the book. I would go to these parties and I would sit in these circles and they'd be passing side dishes around and alcohol around and I would leave and I'd be like, why am I so lonely? Why doesn't this feel right? I don't understand. And I was playing with fire. I was one elbow move away from putting a drink in my mouth. I was just one reaching over and just nobody would have said anything. Nobody cared if I was sober or not. And I was, all I thought about was that I wasn't like them and I hated it. And I couldn't tell my sponsor that because then they would have yelled at me and said, don't go. And I kept placing myself in a position where I kept getting miserable and lonely and hurt. It says, at a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. I underlined, now you're getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. I circle the word liquor, and in big letters I wrote, not drugs. So this is a specific place in the book that they are not telling me, that, that they want me to know this is about Alcoholics Anonymous, which means I don't want to substitute, don't start to withdraw again just because your friends are shooting crack and make that okay. So I don't want to substitute that here. And these are instructions, and they're very clear. I underline the next sentence, and it's such an awesome one. Your job now, so if any of you want to know what your job is, and I'm I'm literally someone who five out of seven days of the week thinks in my mind about what is my purpose, what am I supposed to do here in career-wise, like for a living. I know that I'm supposed to help other people. I know that I'm supposed to be a good mom and a good partner. But right here, it tells me what my job is. My Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. Above at the place, I wrote fourth dimension. That's the fourth dimension. That's the place when I'm actually thinking about somebody else. Where you may be of, I triple underline the word maximum. So I don't want to just help them. I want to be of my the most help. How can I be so helpful? And then I wrote on the side 12th step. So we need, this is what they're talking about. They're, talking about the 12 steps. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. I wrote on the side, this was 1930s. I will not place myself in danger to get somebody out of a situation that they put themselves in and that they found themselves in. If someone calls me that I'm working with and they're in a dangerous neighborhood or in a dangerous situation, I tell them to either call the police or leave. But I'm, I would be putting so many people at risk and causing so much damage if I went in the middle of the night to go get a girl out of a crack house. Um, It says, so now um, you should not hesitate to visit, I underlined, the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. But we we also want to be smart. And we always want to run our ideas past our sponsor or someone in our support group because we never want to go alone to help somebody because it's not safe. It says, many of us keep liquor in our homes. We often need it to carry green recruits through a severe hangover. Some of us still serve to our friends, provided they are not alcoholic. But some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. I underline the next sen- next two sentences. We never argue this question. Remember, they had already told us that we've stopped arguing, which means in every area. I underline, we feel, that's the first 100 members, that each family, in the light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. So I have liquor in my home. Um, I don't have liquor. I have beer um and i have a very small refrigerator and in my home my husband will buy a six pack sometimes 
he buys it like one every three months and it just sits in there taking up space in my refrigerator door and I'm aware of it and I'm thinking why doesn't he drink this this is ridiculous like this is he's here weekend after weekend after weekend he might drink one beer a weekend and um, it offends me as an alcoholic but I don't mind it in my refrigerator in terms of it doesn't bother me spiritually because I don't want to drink it because to me I can see the truth about alcohol because of the 12 steps and because of the work I do every single day and when I look at that I don't even consider hmm I wonder if I should have that or no one will find out it's been removed from me it says, we are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for the spirit among us and is immensely relieved when he finds we are not witch burners. I wrote on the side the word attraction. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved. Above the save, they wrote through the steps. So that's how we save people. We save them by showing them the steps and then they save themselves with God. Had it not been for such stupidity, we would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good, for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. I underline from the word but until the end of the paragraph. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. I need to use that at work, in my relationship, with my kids, with my family, with my friends, on the street, with customer service people, I'm not going to be useful if I'm bitter and I'm hostile. It's so much more powerful and I'm going to get so much farther when I'm kind. I underline drinkers will not stand for it. And then I bracketed that last paragraph. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. I underline because we have stopped fighting anything or anybody. And they reminded me again, anybody or anything, we have to. Um, I wrote in the, underneath that, if fighting, prone to be selfish. Whenever I'm fighting, it's because I'm trying to have my own way and the person's not listening to the way I want it to do. And I wrote down on the bottom of the page, get a sponsee, exclamation mark. Because after we've gone through this part, we, we now have been given all the directions to do 1 through 12 and we can take another person through that. So we are going to flip over to 104 to wives. Um, a couple of things here. When I first was taken through this chapter, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not a wife. I was 20 or 19. Um, and I don't have a husband that drinks. And this is going to be boring. These next chapters to wives, the family afterward, to employers, these are actually really helpful tools uh, to help me see from a different perspective what we are like as alcoholics, active alcoholics. And then it also can help me in my future relationships, it can help me sponsor, it can help me have friends that are in AA and whether they're doing the work or not, and it can help me down the road. Um, so I found a lot of stuff here. There's an asterisk next to the two wives, and at the bottom of the page it says, written 1939 when there are a few women in AA. This chapter assumes that the alcoholic in the home is likely to be the husband, but many of the suggestions given here may be adapted to help the person who lives with a woman alcoholic, whether she is still drinking or is recovering in AA. A further source of help is noted. Um, so it says, with few exceptions, our book thus far is spoken of men, but what we have said applies quite as much to women. Our activities on behalf of women who drink are on the increase. There is every evidence that women regain their healthy their health as readily as men if they try our suggestions. Basically, 
they're just saying that it doesn't matter what sex you are, that this all applies. I underline, but for every man who drinks, others are involved. And remember, whenever they talk about man, just like the whole entire book, they're talking about alcoholic. The wife who trembles in fear of the next debacle, the mother and father who see their son wasting away. I underline the next sentence. Among us are wives, relatives, and friends whose problem has been solved. And that's a promise. And I get to live that. And I need to live that to in a way that the people around me are going to know that that's my truth so they can ask me for help, as well as some who have not yet found a happy solution. We want the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous to address the wives of men who drink too much. What they say will apply to nearly everyone, I underlined, bound by ties of blood or affection to an alcoholic. And I really like the word bound because when you love someone who is an active alcoholic, um, I can imagine that the pain and the fear and the uncertainty and the lack of control and the powerlessness is all consuming. And um, it's been one of the fears I've always had about having children is that I'm going to genetically pass on my alcoholism and one or more of my children are going to be alcoholic. And from what I know about alcoholism, I know that there's nothing I can do to stop them once they've activated that allergy. And I talk to them about um, being sober and they understand my sobriety to the best that they can. Um, but I know for a fact that if that ever does happen, I will become a member of Al-Anon. Um, my, my mom became a member of Families Anonymous when I got so when I was trying to get sober or not trying to get sober. And she told me that my alcoholism brought her to her knees more than anything else did. And I can't even imagine how frightening that must be. Um, so it says, we want to leave you with the feeling that I underlined no situation is too difficult and no unhappiness too great to be overcome. And that's a pretty amazing promise. And that promise apl- applies to all of us. We have traveled a rocky road. There is no mistake about that. We have had long rendezvous with hurt, pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, and fear. These are not pleasant companions. We have been driven to maudlin sympathy, to bitter resentment. Some of us veered from extreme to extreme, ever hoping that one day our loved ones would be themselves once more. I bracketed the next paragraph and it says our loyalty and the desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. So there's that um, hope that we're believing the lie that one day it'll be okay. Or if I could only do this, I'll be able to manage it. And it's a very similar um, belief system that we have as the mental obsession. We have been unselfish and self-sacrificing. We have told innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husband's reputation. We have prayed. We have begged. We have been patient. We have struck out viciously. We have run away. We have been hysterical. We have been terror-stricken. We have sought sympathy. We have had retaliatory love affairs with other men. Um, I actually have to say, I dated a guy in AA um, when I was pretty newly sober, like around two years, and he had a lot more time than I did. He was older than I was, and we lived together. And although he didn't drink, he wasn't doing the program and he was living a pretty scary, messy life in our apartment. And what ended up happening was I became very similar to what these women are talking about. I told innumerable lies to protect him, to protect my pride and my boyfriend's reputation. I begged him. I would try to be patient. I I was an emotional basketball basketball, an emotional basket case. And I got to a place where I had given up so much of myself in order for me to stay there that I lost a lot of myself. And I had to do a ton of work after I left that relationship. Um, But this can happen in sobriety if I'm with somebody who's alcoholic but isn't doing the work. And it's miserable. The whole idea 
especially about love, is I need to love whoever I'm with as they are, not as I want them to be or as I hope they will be or as I think that they could be if they would only do X, Y, and Z. I need to be willing to love them as is. And I did not love that person as is because that was not who I fell in love with. I fell in love with someone who seemed to be a totally different way. And then when I really got to know him, he was not that way. Um, And the whole truth is I need to be honest with myself before I'm even capable of being with anybody else. And these people are going through this horrible, painful struggle that I can't even imagine. It says our homes have been battlegrounds many an evening. In the morning, we have kissed and made up. Our friends have counseled chucking the men, and we have done so with finality, only to be back in a little while, hoping. I underlined, always hoping. And that is what we were just talking about, the mental obsession. I underlined the next sentence. Our men have sworn great solemn oaths that they were through drinking forever. And I wrote on the side, manipulation. And that's what we do. We're the kings and queens of manipulation. And one other reason I read this chapter is it reminds me what we can do to the people that love us. I wrote on the side, what we do to people. We have believed them when no one else could or would. Then in days, weeks, or months, a fresh outburst. I bracketed the next paragraph. We seldom had friends at our homes, never knowing how or when the ma- that men of the house would appear. We could make few social engagements. I underlined, we came to live almost alone. When we were invited out, our husbands sneaked so many drinks they spoiled the occasion. If, on the other hand, they took nothing, their self-pity made them killjoys. And then I relate to this part in the bottom because I grew up in an active alcoholic home until I was 13. And so I didn't like to have friends to my house because I never knew what they were going to find when we walked in the door. I would lie about carpool. I would lie about why my family couldn't be places. Um, and I I came to live almost alone. And so I could relate to that part on the bottom and that part on the top. Um, it's, I underline the next sentence. It says, there was never financial security in the next one. Positions were always in jeopardy or gone. So this is a reminder of how the people who love us and are connected to us feel and experience an armored car could not have brought the pay envelopes home i wrote on the top completely unemployable the checking account melted like snow in june sometimes there were other women how heartbreaking was this discovery how cruel to be told they understood our men as we did not and i wrote on the side what i used to do to others what i used to do to others The bill collectors, the sheriffs, the angry taxi drivers, the policemen, the bums, the pals, and even the ladies they sometimes brought home. Our husbands thought we were so inhospitable. Joy killer, nag, wet blanket. That's what they said. Next day they would be themselves again and we would forgive and try to forget. I just, I I sit here today as a 39-year-old woman with three children and I could not imagine my husband bringing home another woman and yelling at me because I wasn't hospitable to her. I'd be like, the door is that way. Do not let it hit you on the way out. Um, but you can see how, how stuck people can get when you, when there's love involved in a disease, they tell us that this is a family disease. It's not only the alcoholic that's sick, everyone around the alcoholic. We have tried to hold the love of our children for their father. We have told small tots their father was sick, I underlined, which was much nearer the truth than we realized. They struck the children, kicked out door panels, smashed treasure crockery, and ripped the keys out of pianos. In the midst of such pandemonium, they may have rushed out threatening to live with the other woman forever. I underlined, in desperation, because that's what happens. People get desperate. We have even got tight ourselves, the drunk to end all drunks. The unexpected result was that our husbands seemed to like it. 
Perhaps at this point we got a divorce and took the children home to father and mother. Then we were severely criticized by our husband's parents for desertion. Another thing about alcoholism is we learn, um, anyone who's around an alcoholic learns how to keep secrets. The, the What I learned in my house growing up was that you have to keep your outsides looking good. No one can bother you about what's really going on and to never, ever tell anyone about what's really going on. So that's why oftentimes, not all the time because everyone's different, oftentimes people around the alcoholic, unless they're super close to them, might be surprised that the person is an alcoholic because we are so good at hiding things. It says, we stayed on and on. We finally sought employment ourselves as destitution faced us and our families. We began to ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together. The alarming physical and mental symptoms, the deepening pale of remorse, depression, and inferiority that settled down on our loved ones. These things terrified and distracted us. As animals on a treadmill, we have patiently and warily climbed, falling back in exhaustion after each futile effort to reach solid ground. Most of us have entered, I underline the rest of the paragraph in red. The final stage, with its commitment to health resorts, sanitariums, hospitals, and jails. Sometimes there was screaming, delirium, and insanity. Death was often near. And I wrote next to that, late stage, full-blown alcoholism. Late stage, full-blown alcoholism. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes. Some of them rose out of ignorance of alcoholism. Sometimes we sensed dimly that we were dealing with sick men. I underline the next sentence. Had we fully understood the nature of alcoholic illness, we might have behaved differently. And that is what I'm told is available in Ala Family or Families Anonymous and Al-Anon, where you get men and women who are actively working the steps of Al-Anon or Families Anonymous that can help guide you and give you the facts and the truth so that you can make smart decisions rather than based on your emotions, based on what works. How could men who love their wives and children, I underlined, be so unthinking, so callous, so cruel? And I wrote on the side, this is us. And those words, unthinking, callous, and cruel, that's how our behavior is. There could be no love in such persons we thought. And just as we are being convinced of their heartlessness, they, I underlined, would surprise us with fresh resolves and new attentions. And I wrote on the side, masters at manipulation. Masters at manipulation. For a while, they would be their old sweet selves, only to dash the new structures, structure of affection to pieces once more. And I wrote on the side, no defense against the mental obsession. No defense against the mental obsession. So we, they want to behave. They don't want to behave like they've been behaving. They want to be good humans, and they make promises, and everyone finally is okay, and then they, once more it happens again, and it's because we don't have a defense. It says, ask why they commence, which means to, re, to begin, ask why they commence to drink again. They would reply with some silly excuse or none. It was so baffling. I underlined, so heartbreaking. Could we have been so mistaken in the men we we married? When drinking, they were strangers. Sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. And even if they did not love their families, how could they be so blind about themselves? And so this is the outsider who loves them, who loves the alcoholic, saying to each other or to themselves, why can't they see what I see? And the reason why we can't see it is because we are so close to it that we it's not possible. 
It says, and even if they did not love their families, how could they be so blind about themselves? What had become of their judgment, their common sense, their willpower? <clears throat> Remember, willpower is the power of a sane mind when alcohol is concerned more strangely insane. Why could they not see that drink meant underlying ruin to them? And I wrote underneath that mental obsession. Why was it when these dangers were pointed out that they agreed and then got drunk again immediately that we're on 108 at the top? These are some of the questions which race through the mind of every woman who has an alcoholic husband. We hope this book has answered some of them. Underline the next sentence. Perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated. And I can relate to that. I can relate to um, every nuance or perception being bigger or worse than I thought it was. You can see that he really does love you with his better self. Of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility. I underline the rest of the paragraph. But in nearly every instance, the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. It is usually because he is warped and sick. Next to that, I wrote blocked off. Warped and sickened that he says and does these appalling things. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. And next to that, I wrote working the steps. So if you got an, an alcoholic who's not working the steps, we are warped, sickened, unloving, inconsiderate, and we do appalling things. When I'm working the steps, I can be a better wife, daughter, sister, mom, all of those awesome things. It says, try not to condemn your alcoholic husband no matter what he says or does. He's just another very sick, unreasonable person. Treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. When he angers you, remember that he is very ill. And that's that anger prayer on page 66 and 67. Oh, and I wrote that down. So I wrote down page 67, anger prayer. That's when I want to remind myself, perhaps this person is spiritually sick. I bracketed the next paragraph. I wrote on the side, there is a price, there is a price for sobriety. There is a price for sobriety. They say it a number of times throughout our book, a price has to be paid. There is a price for staying in the rooms, and there's a price for not staying in the rooms. I only have two options. There is no third option of I don't need the rooms and I'm fine. We've already identified that I'm not fine and that without alcohol Anonymous in the steps, I'm basically screwed and so are my kids and anyone who, who loves me. But there's always going to be a price that needs to be paid. My kids don't get to see me as much when I need to go to a meeting or when I need to answer the phone or send an inventory or respond to someone. On Thursday nights, I do not get to go to my son's baseball game because of my home group and my big book. Um, that's something that I must do, that I get to do in order for me to stay sober and be the mom I want to be. Uh, there are times where I don't get to show up for my kids because I need to show up for AA, and it's a balance. But the other option for my kids, because I'm a real alcoholic, is I just wouldn't be their mom. I wouldn't be around. I would be this really sad story. They would all crumble and break in their own different ways. I wouldn't show up for them. They would go to all their doctor's appointments, all their school stuff, all their the mean kids, all of it would be without their mom. Because I would either be dead or I would be so ashamed of the way I was living that I wouldn't let them see me. <clears throat> so price always has to be paid says, there is an important exception to the foregoing. We realize some men are thoroughly bad-intentioned, that no amount of patience will make any difference. An alcoholic of this temperament may be quick to use this chapter as a club over your head. Don't let him get away with it. If you are positive he is one of this type, you may feel you had better leave. Is it right to let him ruin your life and the lives of your children, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse? I underlined, if he really wants to pay the price. 
it says the problem with which you struggle usually falls within one or four get one of four categories. So now they're going to identify four kinds of husbands. And they're basically going to tell me about um, from the someone who's not really bad off all the way to someone who's like dying of alcoholism. There's four different kinds of husbands, and they're basically talking to the alcoholic wife. I'm air quoting. You can't see it. Where they're saying if your husband's like this, you you're okay. If your husband's like this, you're okay. And basically the whole story goes. If you if you have someone with a breath and a heartbeat and they want to get sober, then they can. So it says number one, your husband may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking may be constant or it may be heavy only on certain occasions. So on the top of 109, I wrote husband number one. It says perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. On the top of the page, I wrote this person is not an alcoholic. This person is not an alcoholic. And then in parentheses, I wrote no mental, no physical. So this is a heavy drinker who sometimes spends too much money on liquor. It doesn't maybe slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is a source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He is positive he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that drinking is necessary in his business. He would probably be insulted if he were called an alcoholic. Excuse me. This world is full of people like him. I underlined, some will moderate or stop altogether, and some will not. I wrote on the side next to that, real alcoholic cannot stop or moderate. Real alcoholic cannot stop or moderate altogether. I was able to stop and I was able to moderate. I couldn't do it altogether and I couldn't keep it up. Of those who keep on, a good number will become true alcoholics after a while. We're going to stop right there before husband number two. And next week we'll meet back and we'll talk about husband number two. Thank you so much for your time and for listening. I always promise myself if only one person is listening, then it's enough. So I appreciate your time and for the people who have reached out and told me how they feel about it. It means the world. Have a great week. It's totally up to you.